What to do when your child only wants the other parent? For example, a simple thing like tying a shoelace or reading a bedtime story can lead to cries of, No, mummy, do it! Or daddy, do it! Why is it that children prefer, prefer one parent over the other sometimes? And how can you get them to accept help from both of you? Well, to tell us the answers, hopefully, our parenting author and coach Maggie Dent back with us. Mother, grandmother, host of the ABC podcast, Parental As Anything. You can certainly text questions on this to Maggie, 2101, and also on email, if that's easier, 9 to noon at rnz.co.nz. Maggie, kia ora, welcome to the programme. Oh, good morning. <laughs> what is it about this with children that they have sometimes a preference, which can be a really hard and fast one? Where does it come from? Oh, really, it's really interesting. And it's really hard for the rejected parent because, <laughs> I mean, we adore our kids, especially when they're cute and little, but it's often in that early window, <clears throat> excuse me, coughing, um, that, that they're Actually, many children are really only capable of holding a complete amount of attachment and love for one person, human, on the planet. Um, And yet sometimes they can start off with great with both and then they get to that toddler window. I've got a grandson at the moment who turns two in May and my poor son, he's just spare (laughs) because he's now nowhere near good enough. Mummy, do it. Mummy, do it. So tick the box. It's quite normal. Um, And then I think we might just explore some of the things we do around it because you can absolutely become the exhausted parent and then you don't even like the kid who loves you the most. Yes, it can be a very um, intense relationship when you're in that particular situation. So how, you know, what are some of the best ways to try to deal with it? All right. So we look about the things that we really need our children to be as calm as possible and that's going to sleep. (laughs) So I wouldn't fight the battle around that one while they're in this state. Um, But we also know that kids form habits, Catherine. So if we don't, you know, as they get towards three and four, if we don't kind of interrupt it from time to time, then that will be exactly what will keep on going as their preferred way. So we need to have little moments when somebody else does that one. That's particularly important. Every now and then, I think we just got to, um, you know, be real with our kids, just exactly like um, the boundaries around, you know, the cookie before dinner. Um, and that uh, right now, I know you would. So we validate. I know you would love mummy to do it. But mummy's actually gone to the toilet. Mummy's gone out to do some shopping. Mummy is actually having a rest. So daddy's doing it right now, whoever your co-parent is. And we just do it. now. They will cry and protest, but that's a protest cry. It's not one of the cries that says this is a threat to my survival. And if you've got a child in that window, you know you're having meltdowns around the colour of a cup. Um, So it's not a serious thing. It's frustrating and it can be really annoying. However, we really encourage you to keep on stepping in with great joy, lightness and laughter um, as they gradually get used to the fact that sometimes, whoops, there's the other parent and they've done it quite well too. Yeah, does that sort of prove to them that um, there is more than one capable adult in their life if they do see it every so often, you know, that someone else is able to step in and and deal with whatever their issue is? Yeah, that's exactly what we want them to see. And I think there are times, um, it's a bit like you might do everything at the park, you know, to get your child prepared that we're going to be leaving soon. You you know, you've talked about how how much longer and you've done everything. And you do have to actually pick them up 
um, horizontally, sometimes crying and screaming, because you really do have to go. And that's not failed parenting. That's absolutely developmentally what will happen, especially with feisty children who who don't like being told what to do and who really want to have their own way. It's just one of those things I really, you know, kind of want to say to parents. There are times that parenting can be really tough, but when we do it with warmth, Catherine, that's the difference, I think. And I think what gets frustrating is that the exhausted parent can sometimes lose their joy and delight around being the only parent, uh, as well as the other parent, you know, being the excluded one and trying desperately to do everything and then end up with a very unhappy household. So I think, you know, this is why it might not seem like a big thing, but I have spoken to some parents, you know, who this was one of the trickiest things I had to deal with when their little toddler was in that window. Yeah, it can be um, It can be very hurtful if you're the parent who isn't sort of flavour of the month or year, uh, depending on how these things turn out and how long they go on for. Um, do you just have to try to take a step back and not take it uh, sort of personally? <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't but we're it, actually though? A biolog- <laughs> we're biologically wired to react strongly emotionally to rejection because we are a social species. So even though it's a little toddler and you can say in your head, you know, they're emotionally immature, they don't have the brain architecture to be able to make really reasoned, logical choices, in the heat of the moment, it hurts. So again, I think it's what happens is if co-parents keep doing, you know, winking at each other and smiling, maybe rolling, just giving each other the heads up. Um, you know, that this is just a stage and a phase. I think that helps as well. And then um, the tagging in and the, the, you know, the subbing, I'm a basketball lover, everyone needs sub on the bench. So there are times I, you know, recommend you again, if you're noticing the co-parent who is the favourite one, and sometimes it is daddy, not mummy, um, yeah, we sweep in with great joy and, um, you know, whatever we have to do to give them a break because, you know, seriously, everyone is a better parent when they've got a having a break. It doesn't even have to be a very long one. You know, to have that we in peace, to have a cup of coffee by themselves, you know, it resets us emotionally. And I think that's what we need to do. It's the little bits. Um, and we know the things that kids love, right? So I think we, when we look to what is it that they're going to be really happy about, while I become the, you know, the lesser uh, parent for a little period of time, you know, I think it's, you know, you turn up with the snack flake or you're going to put bluey on or we're going to get the Duplo out or I'm going to dress up like a dinosaur or I'm going to put my, you know, Elsa outfit on. doesn't matter what it is. If your bid for connection with the child is linked to something they love, your chances of that transition being much more successful is obviously much higher. So don't swoop in at the point when it's potentially is something that's no. more like discipline that's having to be uh, put on the table. Yeah, no, that's, no, but, and also that's one of the challenging things because what happens is, you know, that parent who is the, you know, kids are drawn to the warmest growing up around them. Um, and that's one of our challenges, I think, is um, how do I be firm and loving and warm? That's a challenge for all of us, particularly those who've been growing up with much tougher parenting backgrounds, you know, a clip over the year and a shout, get to your room and who would you think you are, all that sort of stuff. You know, that those are the things that can come out when we're really tired and exhausted. So we recommend that, you know, those moments that we give the other parent a break are not around the hot moments. 
um, and we allow that parent to be the one still doing that stuff. But there are times I think when we everyone ends up a screaming, um, you know, mess that um, I would always put some fabulous music on. I would do something in that moment. Um, <clears throat> there's something else that children can be like, what's going on here sort of thing, because they can actually, um, once again, sense something's changed. They can't logically stop their big feelings, but sometimes something that they like can distract them just enough for the parents to regroup. Um, and yeah, I know it's a tricky one in lots of ways, but I think we've got to make sure it doesn't become the permanent habit. And that one is the one where, um, you know, mummy dates, dad dates with either children one-on-one -on -one time. When we can develop those as early as possible, we want those to go right through to teenage years because it's that one-on-one -on -one time that is absolutely sacred to children. Um, and yeah, so it's the other parent. It has to kind of think, how can I create a fabulous mum or dad date that the child will want to come with me for a time? So would some of those things, they might actually be good tactics with this question that's come in from Lee. It says, my eight-year-old granddaughter has an obsession with her mother. They've tried all kinds of bribes. Nothing's worked. Any suggestions as it affects her older sister who thinks she's less loved? Of course, siblings potentially can have uh, a sort of a part or a place in this as well. Oh, definitely. And you've got two girls. So girls are really big around working out who's got most, which ones love the most. They're actually so much more savvy around um, attachment and belonging and who cares for me the most. So it can become a really challenging thing between sisters and they will play off beautifully between um, parents and their siblings. So as she's eight now, and eight's a really tricky age for our girls, they grow really significantly quite emotional in that year. So my challenge would be, once again, it's it's just exactly the same as when they were younger. Bribes don't tend to work long term, but what does tend to work sometimes is having that family meeting going, uh, we've noticed that we, you know, I need to make sure that we're fair parents for all our children. Um, and so we're going to look at ways that we can um, make sure that both of you feel that you are loved the same. Have you got any ideas? So when we put it out into the open table, Sometimes when children express how they feel in certain situations, the other child has no awareness around that, and that can really help it as well. Um, and I'd look underneath, is there a special interest that maybe mum and the daughter have um, that could, you know, be something that the other parent can possibly get involved in, whatever that one. And then the next one that often plays out in this space is the fact that um, is the temperament more of a match? Because what we find is, our rooster children, you know, the ones that push all our buttons, um, they're often a little bit trickier to have those wonderful, warm, deeply, and I often call it enmeshed relationships because they're, you know, they're often about their own importance. Often where the sensitive, more gentle, you know, child is drawn to the safest, warmest parent. So again, that could be playing out in this space as well. And I think really I would, you know, if she's eight, and the, we know that by 10, um, puberty starts. So I really think a really some really good guidance around this would be really helpful at this point because it can end up becoming like a really big prickle that's not spoken about uh, in a lovely, caring way and let them be parts of the solution uh, and let them both be heard in that space. I think that's, that's a way forward in that one. 
Mm, some great advice. Lee, I hope that helps you. And now another question here. Can grandparents sometimes be favoured over parents? And I guess this is a um, an interesting aspect too because uh, certainly I've noticed myself that my teenage son in particular will do things without even being asked for my parents, mm-hmm. but he won't do them for me. Oh, golly, this is one of the dilemmas. Of course, I'm a nanny of seven. Um, so when they are visiting, it's nanny. You know, it's definitely nanny. No, nanny do it. And so I'm blessed with wiping an awful lot of bottoms and cleaning up pooey nappies like you wouldn't believe. Uh, even one of my grandsons who lives nearby tends to make sure he poos at my house because that's just who we'd prefer to clean it up. We actually know that, um, you know, we're all, if we've got a warm and loving grandparent, um, they kind of aren't in our parent-child drama. And so we've all had those sorts of moments. And, and I think they think that we're a little bit more predictable. And it's not that we need to spoil them. They just know we often aren't as hurried and we're often, you know, not trying to work as much in things. And I often find um, that I give my toddlers a lot more time when I ask them, you know, maybe to come and it's nearly time for dinner. Can you come when you're ready? If it takes them an extra five minutes, I'm not upset because I've got time. They often all eat their vegetables at my house, which is so crazy. So one of the things we found, you know, in that start, I've, you know, done the research around boys and men was uh, other than mum being, you know, 56% the safest human in boys' lives when they're teenagers, the next one was definitely grandparents. It featured much higher So, again, that role, um, you know, let's love it. If you've got some really lovely warm ones, um, yeah, definitely would prefer nanny. Come on, nanny, you do it. And I don't don't drown them with lollies. And when nanny has a certain look, you know that means no. I never raise my voice, but I have a look that they all know is, uh uh-oh, that's nanny, not happy. Absolutely. Um, We've been talking about this, I suppose, in the context of toddlers quite a lot, but... What um, what if this persists as children become older after they get into double digits? Um, is that about a power thing? Uh, I think I think we all have a. Um, I think we all that. I'm just I'm just assuming um, most parents okay are uh, male or female. So there are different ways um, that dads often approach parenting, and they're all you know many of them telling me today I want to be the dad I didn't have, but I have no idea what that means. So sometimes our dad's a little bit more prone to being, um, use less words and be a bit abrupt and go, oh, you know, like these sorts of things, which, um, you know, can, as you get towards teenage years, um, might not be seen in the same lens as it was when they were children. And yes, it can, it can definitely create challenges in the adolescent years, but you'll tend to find, um, once again, creating a warm relationship can be different for a dad and a mum, however, equally important. And so anything you do, and sometimes I know dads tell me, well, I'm the one that take, you know, my daughter to sport. I'm the one, I'm the, there all the time because I want to be a part of her life in the place that I feel um, I can be most positive. Does that make sense? So he's actually chosen. So mum's actually often um, not the one who ever picks up and does things because he said that's my place and it's predictable and I don't forget and we have lots of lovely chats in the car. So he's actually had a conscious choice about where in that window, even though mum at home is the preferred parent. And I thought, look at that wisdom. It's interesting, isn't it, how it can switch potentially quite quickly then? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, and also you'll tend to find girls and mums. Uh, that That's a whole interesting challenge as they go into puberty. And I think um, I've, you know, read a lot of studies talking that girls are often the worst to their mum, even if they love her. Um, and, you know, many mums will say, yeah, I was terrible to my mum as well. So, again, the preferred parent thing is usually as adolescents is <laughs> which parent's going to give me the chances to give me what I really want. Um, that's often what <laughs> drives the interactions rather than who do I love the most and who's safest. So, um, yeah, things get a little interesting later. Mm. So um, I suppose the the takeaways here are very much about creating that sort of warm relationship um, and to be aware that to some extent this can perhaps sometimes become a thing of habit. A child gets used to always asking for for one parent for a certain thing or maybe they're the parent that tends to be around at that time of day um, and so it can be quite hard for them if they're having to switch. Yeah and that's exactly um, you know what we want to keep explaining to it and also I think that other thing is, um, you know, I touched on it with the adolescent one, which parent's likely to give me what I want? Um, I, we just had a house full over Easter and um, my grandson, who's six and a half, called out quite often, I want to drink water. Um, and mummy was getting up and I've just shoved her back down in the chair. He's tall enough. I gave him the demo. And uh, so he no longer asked her for that. So can you see again? Like sometimes um, our kids actually have more skill levels than we think that we've just forgotten to up them a bit and we end up running around doing things for them because we don't want them to be upset. But that's not help, helping them develop life skills and, and um, capacity. I call it self-efficacy. Um, and they might not like you because you're no longer leaping up to get them a drink of water when they command it. Can you see? So at, at different times it's being warm and firm and fair as often as you can and that's the juggling act of parenting isn't it that you might have to be really firm about something and they may have a big protest about it but how do we connect as they head off to bed you know do we still say good night do we still snuggle them do we still kind of do the whatever age they are that's appropriate for them because that's the challenge I think um you know we go oh that's just so rude to me today I'm not going to do that but really they're children the prefrontal cortex is not finished till the mid to late 20s so we sometimes expect them to behave in ways that is beyond them um, cognitively and emotionally. 